the reading is from John chapter 8, verse 31 to 36. It's on page uh, 1074 in the Church Bibles. John chapter 8, verse 31 to 36. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you, really, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family but the Son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Well, good evening. I'd like to add my own welcome. Uh, it's lovely uh, to see you all. Now, there's a man called Chang who runs the local news agents, originally from China, and he moved over to the UK about 30 years ago. And he first worked uh, in the factory as an employee, but he's left that job now, and today he runs his own news agents. The hours are terrible. I mean, he starts at 4.30 in the morning. He doesn't see his teenage kid. And the only day that he has off is Christmas Day. So he works 364 days in the year with no holidays and starts work at 4.30 every day. But he tells people that he is happier in this job than his previous job. And when asked why, he says, well, it's because I work for myself. I'm my own boss. I am free. And over the next six weeks as a church, we're going to be going through a new series called Making Sense of Life. And uh, it's based on this book, really. We've got the, the topics and the ideas from Making Sense of Life, uh, Michael Otts. Uh, it used to be done in the, in the bookstore. We're going to get that back up, I hope, um, for you to have a read yourselves. But what we're going to be looking at, some of the topics are... Hope, happiness, identity, and this evening we're looking at freedom. And freedom is something that we all want, no matter who we are, no matter where we live. And when we think about it, we can find that there's different forms of freedom. There's political freedom, where we can vote for whoever we want. There is freedom of speech, which is the ability to say whatever we want. Closely tied to freedom of speech is religious freedom which is the right to express or change one's religious belief. And then there's personal freedom, the freedom to do whatever we want to do. But what is freedom? I guess for many of us, we would define freedom as the ability to do whatever I want, whenever I want, and however I want. It's life without limits. It's life without restrictions. But is that really what freedom is all about? And are we as free as we really think we are? Well, in the Bible, a passage read earlier to us by Owen, we heard Jesus talking to the religious elites, the social elites, the powerful people at that time. And he says to them, you think you're free, but you're really not. And so if a religious person can't be free and a powerful person can't be free, then who can be free? Well, this evening, we're going to look at this topic together, and there are three areas that I want us to look at, and they are what is freedom, the problem of freedom, and then the solution to true freedom. So firstly, let's have a look at what is freedom, the foundation of the Western world. 
As I've already mentioned, freedom to us in the West is defined as being able to do whatever we want, whenever we want, with whoever we want, for as long as we want. Freedom means life without limits. And certainly since the Enlightenment, this has been the dominant view of freedom in the West for the past 200, 300 years. And at the time of the French Revolution, the motto was liberty, equality, fraternity. It became so widespread in the people that today it can be found on public buildings throughout Paris. And this motto, liberty, equality and fraternity, is now integral part of the French national heritage. The Declaration of Independence from the United States, which was written up during the same period, it says this, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. The Australian National Anthem, open in line, says this, Australians all, let us rejoice, for we are young and free. And so you can see just by quickly looking at three different countries in the West, France, America, and Australia, that we can see that freedom is in the fabric, it's in the foundations of the modern Western world. And this is the reason why we, in the UK, are free to choose a leader of what we want, free to say what we want, and believe what we want. And these are things to have in our country, and things to really fight for together, to keep Especially when we think of the alternatives, where in other countries we see young girls not being able to go to school or able to dress appropriately for the weather. Countries where you can't express your opinions uh, against the authorities. Countries where you can't, are not free really to walk down the street without expecting the worst. Freedom brings hope. Freedom promises us a good life. And freedom helps us to dream of a better future. And this foundational theme of freedom in the Western world is not only taught to us through national mottos uh, or declarations or anthems, but it's preached to us in every Hollywood film, Oscar speech, and every university graduation speech. What is it? That on the day that we were born, we're as pure and as authentic as we, and real as we ever can be. But as we grew up, authority figures messed us up. Our parents messed us up. Our teachers messed us up. Religion messed us up. And so our mission in life is to be true to ourselves, to be authentic and to do whatever makes us happy, to live without limits, to live free. Take my favorite song, for example. I think perfectly it captures this, uh, the great anthem from Elsa from the film Frozen. Now, if you don't know the film uh, poor princess uh, Elsa finds out that her magical powers pose a national threat and so is denied her freedom, banished to her room and denied the opportunity to, to be her real self. And then in a moment of distress, Elsa shows her great power in public and is, is shamed by the crowd who call her a monster and so she just flees off into the mountain. And here is where we have that famous song which says, <laughs> I, I don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. It says this, kingdom of isolation, and it looks like I'm the queen. <laughs> it just seems odd now reading that. The wind <laughs> is howling like the swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. 
And what we hear is the shackles have been taken off. She is free to be who she wants to be. She's transformed from this timid, cautious, fearful princess to now this powerful snow queen. She continues to sing and we hear the disdain in her voice to her former self. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break free. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. So Elsa is free of restrictions, free of any barriers to her self-expression. She is free to break into a new world which is gonna, she is going to create. And let's be honest, the Western storyline is a great one because we're free We're free to live how we want to live. We're free to choose a job that we want to do. It's the promise of the good life. It's a life without limits. And yet, what is the reality for her, Elsa? She is free to do whatever she wants, but her expression of freedom has left her alone. And later in the film, she says, I'm such a fool because there's no escape from the storm inside of me. Which should then lead us to think whether our own pursuit of freedom will end up with us cutting ourselves off from those who know us and who love us. And actually when we stop thinking less Hollywood and Disney and more real life, we have to consider the question, are we really as free as we think? Which brings us to our second point this evening, the problem of freedom. Are we free, as free as we think? An article in the Guardian newspaper in February of this year reported the sad news of the growing number of whales and porpoises and dolphins that have been beached onto our British shores. And it said this in the article. A whale's tail swishes high into the air, pauses at the apex of its stretch before beaten down with a thud onto the hard, rocky ground. The noise is sickening. The sound of two things coming together that were never supposed to meet. Is a whale free on that beach? No, of course not. Whales are only free in the vast oceans where they can swim for thousands of miles for what they were designed to do. And so could there be ways when doing whatever we want could lead us not to freedom but the exact opposite to our ruin. Well, let me first propose that our Western view of freedom is far too simplistic. In the West, we we think of freedom in the negative sense, that we are freed from things rather than the positive form of being free to something. We normally think of freedom in the absence of restrictions, meaning that there are fewer constraints on my choices than the freer I am. And if anything constrains me, if if anything limits or interferes with my ability to choose whatever I want to choose, then I am less free. And I want to propose to you that that is way too simplistic. But why? Well, I know that some of you, when I when I you rolled your eyes when I gave you that whale example, you may have thought, well, of course. Whales can't live on land just as I can't fly and just as, Reeves, you can never be a professional basketball player. And that's fair because you're right. There are environmental constraints, geographical constraints, physical constraints, intellectual, mental and social constraints on our freedom that our culture is very happy to brush over and ignore in their simplistic view. 
But I believe it's even more complicated than that. Let me just illustrate what I mean by this. Over the Easter holidays, I read the autobiography of British comedian Bob Mortimer. And, and in his book, he describes certain foods that bring joy to his life and, and how they're a major part of his happiness and his comfort. However, his love for certain foods finally catches up with him and he lands him in hospital and he's having open-heart surgery. Now, in his recovery, his doctor, those you know, restrictors of good food, uh, told him that he needed to completely stop eating those things he loved or he would have another heart attack, or spend the rest of his shortened life at home. And so for Bob, what does freedom look like now? Well, our modern world would say freedom is the ability to do whatever you want to do, to do what you desire. It's really too simplistic, because what happens when your desires contradict each other, like this example with Bob? And really, this is how real life works, doesn't it? Bob has two desires, two freedoms. He has the freedom to eat the food that brings him joy or the freedom to live a longer life. But he can't have both. And so what does he do? What does he need to do is lose the freedom of one to gain the freedom of the other. He's going to have to constrain some of his desires in order to fill the other desire. It's too simplistic to say that freedom is the absence of constraints. In fact, freedom is more choosing the more liberated desire over the more confining desire. In every situation, freedom is a strategic loss of freedoms to gain some other freedom. For example, tonight we've just had some really fantastic music played to us by some really talented musics. I mean, thanks so much, guys. It was brilliant. But you see, I can't play like that. And the reason is, is because when they were seven, eight, nine years old, whilst I was outside playing and climbing up trees, they were inside practicing. And through their lives, they've accepted certain constraints, but to them, they were liberating constraints, because now they can freely play like they're playing today. So it's just amazing. So hopefully, just by those two examples, we can see that actually, maybe our modern definition of freedom is a bit too simplistic. When we say freedom is just the absence of constraints. There's also another way the Western world simplifies freedom. Because it often speaks of the danger of our freedom coming from the outside of the world. It's, it's people in society. It's the oppressive authorities around us who are keeping us back and stopping us becoming who we want to be. And of course there's oppressive forces outside us. But just like Elsa, if we're honest, we know that there's no escape from the storm inside us. And so secondly, we are slaves to what's inside us. And in the Bible passage we had read out to us earlier from John chapter 8, Jesus says to us that the ultimate enemy of your freedom is you and it's me. He says in verse 34, if you've got your Bibles open, John 8, verse 34, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And the people Jesus was speaking to were the religious leaders, and they really respond angrily to him, insisting that they don't need to be set free because they've never been slaves, which is really ironic because throughout the nation's history, there were numerous times they were enslaved, firstly by the Egyptians, then the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, and currently they were living under Roman occupation. 
And yet Jesus isn't talking about their political freedom, but their personal freedom. They were slaves to sin. And that's the same for you and me. And none of us like to think of ourselves as slaves. But again, the question, are we really as free as we think we are? Now, you might be offended by the statement from Jesus, just as the religious leaders were in front of him, and say, I'm not a slave. I'm not. I'm really not. But have you considered this, that although we might think we're doing whatever we want to do, that could we be just following the crowd or following our feelings of being led by circumstances, actually just responding to, to what happens to us and what people expect of us? And when we hear that word sin, we we're, we're often think, to think, tempted to think the forbidden or the frivolous. But in the Bible, sin goes wider and far deeper than these things. Actually, sin is resisting God in a world he has made for us and, and wanted to be in charge of our own lives. It, it's that heart impulse that says, nobody tells me how I am going to live my life. It's the intrinsic Bias in each of us that means that so often we are our own worst enemies. We have a, a self-destructive side to human nature. And like a broken shopping trolley, we seem to go any other way than the way that we should go. But Jesus says in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You know, when I bought my car, uh, it came with an owner's manual and it and let me know that the car can't just, I can't just drive the car any way I want to. I, I have to change the oil. I have to put the right fuel in it. Please do that. It's so expensive when you don't. I have to change gear when I'm driving it. Why? Well, because if I break the rules of the car manual, then I'll end up breaking the car and restricting its freedom. And the same is true for us. If we live our lives ignoring God and his instructions for our lives, then we'll end up destroying ourselves and actually restricting our freedoms to be who we were made to be. And so according to Jesus, the ultimate enemy of our freedom is you and me, because whatever we desire apart from God, whatever we want, whatever we're living for, will become a master over us. If it's success, there'll always be another mountain to climb. If it's living for money, then there's always going to be more money to make. If it's going to be a reputation and respect, well, there's always going to be whisperings behind your back. If it's living for a relationship or your family, you'll never be, find the perfect one. And you'll never be the perfect son or daughter, father, mother, husband and wife. And I find it interesting that although we enjoy more freedoms than our grandparents ever did, our new freedoms enslave us just as much and they come as a cost we want overseas holidays we want bigger houses we want a newer car we want the latest clothes we want that next experience and that's fine but we end up selling our freedom to the banks to huge credit card bills to 30-year mortgages and we enslave ourselves to our jobs and we work 60-hour weeks or work like our newsagent friend, Chan, at the beginning of our time. Whatever we're living for, we'll never have enough. I'll become a cruel master that drives us too hard. 
asking too much of us, and they enslave us, and they rob us of our lives and our freedom. So the problems with our freedom is that our view of freedom is too simplistic in the West. We're slaves not just to things outside of us, but slaves to things within inside us. And thirdly, we're slaves to our own fears. The Western storyline is that you can be whoever you want to be. You, can, you only have one life, and so go for it. And although it's a, it's a great motivational and liberating model, the downside to it is that it leads to an impossible level of perfectionism and crushing fear of missing out, living out our best life. We think, what if I'm with the wrong person? What if I'm supposed to be doing something else or living some, somewhere else? What if I'm doing the wrong course? What if I get injured? What if I get ill? What if I die? We're so afraid of losing our freedom, we get enslaved by our fears. And Josie and I are watching this new series on Disney Plus called Limitless with Chris, Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> I have a suspicion that we're watching it for completely different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> But the premise of this series is that Chris Hemsworth explores the different ways humans can live better and longer by taking, you know, these physical and mental challenges. And it's fascinating to watch as he put himself through terrifying crane walking, um, ice diving, rope climbing, and firefighting. But you see, underneath it all, there's a fear of getting old. There's a fear of not being in control. A fear of uncertainty a fear of infirmity, and a fear of death. We're so afraid of losing our freedom, we get enslaved to our fears. And so what's the answer? What's the answer then? Well, thankfully, that doesn't have to be the end of the story. Freedom is possible, and it comes to us in the most unlikely of ways to our secular world, which brings us to our final point this evening. The solution to true freedom. Jesus sets us free. So many people in our secular Western world think that God and religion, the Christian faith, would somehow limit or restrict their freedom. People think that if they were to embrace Christianity, it would be the end to their freedom. In fact, one of the reasons many people reject the idea of God is not because they can't believe a lack of evidence. It's that they don't want to believe. They don't like the idea of a God who might somehow restrict their freedom and their lifestyle. Aldous Huxley, the famous atheist, said that his his atheism was an instrument of liberation. But could it be that far from wanting to take away our freedom, it is in God as discovered in Jesus that we can find real, true freedom? Jesus spoke about freedom himself in our reading. We found Jesus saying in verse 36, if the Son, speaking of himself, sets you free, then you will be free indeed. Jesus never diagnoses the problem without offering a solution. And the Bible tells us that Jesus hasn't come to limit or take away our freedom, but he's come to give us true freedom. And so what kind of freedom can Jesus give us? Well, firstly, Jesus will free us from our past. This is Gunter Grass, the, the German novelist and poet who won the Nobel Prize in literature. Often told uh, Germans through his novels and plays and newspaper articles and interviews what they did not want to hear about their history, about their politics, even about themselves, criticizing Germany's 
failure to deal with the Nazi past. But in 2006, through his autobiography, Peeling the Onion, Gunther stunned Germany by confessing that in the Second World War, he was actually drafted into the SS, the military branch of the notorious Nazi corps that played an important role in the Holocaust and other atrocities. So many Germans criticised him for his hypocrisy. How could someone who has elevated himself for 60 years as a nation's bad conscience only then admit he himself was deeply involved? How could he play this double role for so long? And in an interview, he was asked why, after hiding his ties to the SS for so long, why, why confess it now? And he said, it weighed on me. It had to come out, even though it will stain me forever. All of us have done, said, and thought things that if were made public, would stain us too. We may not have been part of something so abhorrent, but we've made decisions that hurt people. And we've had this destructive impact on their lives and our lives. And we could be weighed down by these regrets, this guilt and shame as we carry them around with us, all the while trying to conceal it from everyone around us. And this is why Jesus offer of forgiveness is so liberating, so freeing, because with this forgiveness comes the freedom from regrets and guilt and shame. But we need to know that this freedom from the past comes at a cost. Just like our political freedom was bought at the cost of the lives of others, so our ultimate freedom came only through the death of Jesus. In John chapter 8, if you've still got that passage open, if you skim right down to the the end in verse 54, at the end of the dialogue between Jesus and the religious leaders, they are so offended by what Jesus is saying that they pick up stones to kill him. Well, he don't succeed at that time, but it was a foreshadow of what was to come for Jesus because eventually they did kill him, but not with stones, but by nailing him to the cross. But through this death, He took upon himself all the guilt and shame so that we could be freed from it. He chose to lose his freedom so we might have it. And this offer for us is the freedom of a, a completely fresh start. But true freedom isn't simply being freed from something, but also being freed for something. We need to have something or someone to live for. And Jesus gives us the other half of that equation. He gives us someone to live for by giving us a new heart. We're not just trapped by what's outside of us, but what's inside of us. Our hearts are slaves to fear and self-centeredness, insecurity, hatred and darkness. We're afraid of losing what little we have and we don't have the power in ourselves to sum up the ability to be able to be the people that we want to be. It's impossible to get free by ourselves. But with God, all things are possible. And we need God to do a miracle in our lives to set us free. And as we put our trust in Jesus through his death, he gives us a new heart. And through his resurrection, he gives us his power. And this new heart and this new power sets us free from the penalty and the power of sin and frees us to be the people who we are uniquely made to be. Jesus gave up his freedom. He gave up all the freedom, his infinite freedom, a freedom that no one else will ever know to give us freedom. Jesus gives us 
a new heart, a heart that beats for him. And in Jesus, we'll find all the love and belonging that we need. We'll find all the status and respect that we need. We'll find all the worth and honor that we crave. And we'll find the life that we've always dreamed. And when this happens to you, you'll not want to give up your freedom you have now. To chase after all those things you did before, because you'll have them all in Jesus. And that's how our heart is set free. So you see, freedom doesn't come from national anthems or declarations of independence. It doesn't come from what we own or what we say about us. But freedom comes from the loving sacrifice of Jesus, who gives us a new heart. A heart that is full and fulfilled in him. A heart and a life that is free. And the understanding of this loving sacrifice, which is at the heart of the of Christianity, explains why the freedoms in all its forms that we enjoy today are consequences of the Christian revolution. And yet there is a much deeper, much broader kind of freedom that Jesus wants to give us and offers to us, each and every one of us. And in the words of the French Revolution, it's one of liberty, freedom, equality, fraternity, but for eternity. Fever Jesus, let's pray. Move us today, we pray, Lord, to know, to take hold of, and to treasure the freedom that you have won for us. That is for freedom that Christ has set us free, that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are forgiven, freed from our sin, freed from our past, freed from our fears. And because of this, we can celebrate this freedom now, but also in eternity where we will enjoy it in all its fullness with our new hearts. Please help this news to warm our affections to you so we may be free from the self-imposed isolation we're tempted to do from you or the distraction of looking elsewhere for the freedom only you can provide. We pray for those here this evening who are seeking. We pray that they would see that this offer of freedom from Jesus is much deeper and broader than the simplistic freedom that is offered to us by our world. And for those of us who have experienced this freedom, help us to remember the infinite loss of freedom Jesus experienced in order to give us freedom, that our freedom came at a terrible price. Help us to rejoice in the certainty of it, be energized to live in it, so others may see the true freedom on offer from Jesus. And we ask all these things in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.